We read together this morning for the message, this afternoon for the message, Judges chapter 6 again. And the Lord helping us, we intend to finish our study of this, these three small, simple verses that we have worked so hard to get through. Judges chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, that is, Gideon, of course, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel. From the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? If you would before the message. Stand with me again. This time standing and we sing together. Number 681. My God, the spring of all my joys, the life of my delights, the glory of my brightest days, and comfort of my nights. In darkest shades, if I appear, my dawning is begun. He is my soul's bright morning star, and He my rising sun. The opening heavens around me shine with beams of sacred bliss. While Jesus shows his love is mine And whispers I am his My soul would leave this heavy clay At that transporting word and run with joy the shining way to meet my gracious Lord. Fearless of hell and ghastly death, I break through every fall. 
The wings of love and arms of faith shall bear me conquer through. Thank you. Thank you. Be seated. I am now at the fourth message in attempting something of an exposition and application of these simple verses here in the record contain Judges 6, 12 through 14. I have been searching these verses and the exposition of them by fixing, hanging as it were, our thoughts on this singular question that Gideon asked when he says to the Lord, O my Lord, if if the Lord be with us, why then is all of this befallen us? In the first message, you'll recall I looked at length at the lessons that we could draw from the context of this question. I gave you this outline from the beginning. We talked about the context of this profound question. And then beginning in the second message and then again the third, I wanted to walk at a slower pace in considering with you the matter of the consternation of the questioner, Gideon, the man Gideon. I started out by looking at the timing of that question, seeing how the consternation of Gideon came about because of the timing with regards to his disappearance of the angel of the Lord and then his question. And then I helped you to see on last week, I hope I did, that Gideon had lessons to learn in his consternation. There were lessons for him to learn with regards to preparation for the service of God. And on last week, I gave you those lessons that Gideon must learn in his consternation that provoked this question. I showed you that he must learn, first of all, to know himself. He must learn to know himself. And we saw on last week how he did learn to know himself. And we dealt with his humility and his brokenness and talked about pride and how pride blinds the heart 
of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. So that a lesson to be learned for Gideon in his preparations for service to God was his, the very great need for him to know himself. But then number two, I gave you this, that he must know himself. He must be prepared in order to that preparation. He must be made to know who God is. He must know himself, but he must know far more than that. He must know who God is. He must know him by his name, we saw in verse 10. He must know him by his power, verses 19 through 22. He must know him personally. He must know him experientially. We talked about this great lesson of preparation. He must know the Lord. And then thirdly, I said to you that he must know his own personal calling. Verse 14 through 16. In his preparation to the service of God, he must know his own personal calling. And then fourthly, I said to you, in his preparation, he must be made to know a personal communion with God. Verse 22 and 24, he must know in his preparation, he must know personal communion with God. It's been said often, I know you've heard myself, my wife say it, it's been said often, we say it regularly to Emmerich, one of the greatest places in the world one of the easiest places in the world to, quote, backslide is on the campus of a Christian college. And one of the greatest theaters, if you please, by which a man may play out hypocrisy is in the ministry. Because a man knows and does and says all the right things, and is not, in fact, personally communing with Christ. If he's to prepare, if Gideon is to prepare, we saw in verse 22 and 24, he must be made to know a personal communion with God. And I dealt with that at some length. But now, in an attempt to conclude our study of these three verses, I would ask you to look with me into that last room. You'll remember I said to you at the very first message in giving you that three-point outline of this text, I said these are the three rooms that we'll seek to furnish with the lessons from this text. The first room was that room of the context of the question. The second was that of the consternation of the questioner. And now this afternoon, I suggest to your consideration this last room, the consolation from the questioned. <laughs> and of course, the questioned one is none other than the angel of the Lord, or if you prefer it to be said, the Lord, the angel. Because this was no 
less than a Christophany, an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so in this final room, we'd seek to furnish it with lessons. This room which I have called the consolation of the questioned. <laughs> we read the verses to you just now. And I confess that as I studied to do this, I hardly knew how to express the glory, the splendor, the holy wonder contained in these blessed words. What great consolation comes from the lips of the question one. There's sweet constellation for the consternation of this poor questioner in his context. Hallelujah. And so then, what is that constellation? I give it to you. Not all, not all, of course, but I give you only three from our text. Three sweet consolations from the lips of the questioned one. First of all, I give you the declaration of his presence. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee. <laughs> oh, here's a great consolation. There is a declaration of his personal presence. May I say to you this afternoon, this is everything. This is everything. The Lord comes to Gideon and the angel in that form of an angel appears to him and he says to him, the Lord is with thee. I would not have to spend a great deal of time because I've already spent much to describe to you where this scene is played out and where those words are spoken, where the Lord found this man. And if you'll cast your mind back to that scene and paint that picture quickly in your mind again, then when you come here and you hear these words, these are words of great consolation. The Lord is with me. There is a declaration of his personal presence. And I have said, that is everything. Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be with us, if God be with us, what more can we seek? Romans chapter 8. That text I just quoted, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? 
If God, it is God that justifieth, who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress and persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of the sword and these verses came ringing to my heart after the events of this week and our brother Maxime, what about all of this trouble? What about all this sorrow and famine and, and peril and sword? What about it? It can't separate you from the presence of God. It cannot separate you from the presence of God. Oh, here's a sweet consolation. Sometimes we read words like this and we just read and we're just reading and we just read over it. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with thee and thy mighty man. But it, we need to pause and realize here's a declaration of his personal presence to be with Gideon. And that is everything. God's presence Hear me, God's presence in ages past has closed the mouths of ravenous lions. God's presence in ages past has quenched the burn out of the flames of fire. God's presence in ages past has calmed the winds of a thousand storms, healed the rampage of a thousand diseases, quelled the fears of a thousand frights, and oh, hallelujah, has sucked the poison out of the sting of death itself. God's presence in the heart of a myriad of saints Throughout the ages, God's presence has robbed the world of its all of its glory and beauty and has robbed sin of its pain. God's presence. Oh, that blessed word. We never tire of it, do we? We never tire of that blessed 23rd Psalm. We never tire of that blessed 23rd Psalm and that verse. Fourth verse said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, listen, 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 though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Hallelujah. With me. Here's a great consolation. The promise of the personal presence of God. Here's a great consolation. From the questioned one. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Lo, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the world. Oh, what will that end of the world look like? I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know what it'll look like prophetically. Unlike some men that think they can detail it out. Draw it out, sketch it out all in detail. I don't know what it'll look like at the end of the world. I don't know what it'll look like at the end of the world for you. The end of your world. But I know this. The psalmist said, I won't fear any evil there. Because thou art with me. Oh, Gideon, 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 hear me, brother. Hear me, Gideon, says the angel. God is with you. 
Oh, hallelujah. If I could just loop this message back around all the way back to the beginning to the first and remind you he's been with him all along. He was with him when he didn't see him. He was with him when he hadn't heard him. He was with him when he didn't even know. He was over there under that tree watching. God is with you, Gideon. Oh, here. Here is the certainty of consolation. Here is a certainty of consolation. God, Gideon, is with you. The prophet said in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, God through the prophet said to Israel, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Hallelujah. The prophet said, don't fear. God is with you. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And verse 6, the Lord says to Moses, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Oh, listen to me. Surely this, Gideon, surely this, this will do. Won't this do? Won't this do for you, Gideon? Won't this do? Surely this will do. Surely nothing else is needed. God is with me. I wonder do we understand the full import of that? Oh, I would that I had his language and I could call my brother Maxime on the phone today and express to him in his own language this thought, my brother. God is with thee. I know you've lost so much. Your heart is aching, but God is with thee. God is with thee. Oh, here's a sweet, sweet consolation from the question one. The Lord is with thee, Gideon. There's a declaration of his presence, but secondly... Here's another consolation. There's the determination of his purposes. <laughs> oh, there's a declaration of his presence. But there's the determination 
of his purposes. Now don't miss this. This would be easy to miss. Look at verse 12 again. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> but this angel says, Thou art a mighty man of valor. But wait, wait. He's come to a man that's hiding. He's come to a man that's engaged in nothing more than the meanest servant's labors. He's come to a man that's lowly both in station and pedigree. He's come to a man that's discouraged and disillusioned and he says to him, Thou mighty man of valor. He calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. How can this be? Oh, I enjoyed reading so many different authors and commentators and scholars. My goodness, they've gone at this thing from so many different roads. But I simply put the question to you, how can this be? How can this be a consolation? Oh, blessed, blessed be our God. The solution to that problem is not difficult for me. This angel does not view him as he is in himself, but as he will be by his determination. Hallelujah. By the determination of his purposes. Well, good. Hey, the angel does not view him as he is in himself when he steps up and says, Thou mighty man of valor. But rather he's viewing him as he will be in the determination of his purposes. Blessed be our God. I'm glad this afternoon that grace looks on us. Not as we are, but as we are in His Son, and as we shall be in His purposes. Hallelujah. That's what gives clarity, brethren, to Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, I feel sorry for folks that don't understand this gospel, don't understand this God, don't understand this text. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, as according as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. Hallelujah. Thank God he's not looking at me today as I am. He's looking at me today through Christ as he has purposed me to be. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, made us, made us accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. 
Blessed be the Lord. Oh, I sorrow for those that don't understand this, that don't see this at all. <laughs> oh, he he's not looking at me this afternoon as I am. He's looking at me as he would have me to be in his determined purposes. Oh, said Moses, Lord, I can't talk to these people. I can't talk to these people, but the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. He said, they won't believe me, but the Lord said, I'm going to be with you. And you will deliver these people. <laughs> How can that be? Oh, because Moses, Moses, listen to me. It's by his determined purposes. Oh. Israel said, we can't engage that giant. We can't do it. No man would even dare to attempt it. We can't engage that giant. But little David said, the Lord is with me. He was with me when that lion tried to destroy my daddy's sheep. He was with me when, when that bear, when that bear tried to destroy my daddy's flocks. He was with me. He was with me and, and the Lord had a purpose for this young man, a definitive purpose that he had already purposed in his life to give him victory. And he walked out to that Philistine. When he marched out, he marched out in open defiance and he said to, in the boldest of terms, this day, 1 Samuel 17, will the Lord deliver thee into my hands and will smite thee and take off, I'll take off thy head and I'll feed your carcass to the birds that all of this assembly may know that the battle is the Lord's. I've come in the name of the Lord. For the hosts, and he is with us. God is with us, and it is his purpose. <laughs> Little David had such a sense of the purposes of God. Oh, blessed be our God. The Lord was looking at David. The Lord was looking at David, not for what he was, but for what he would be according to his sovereign, determined purposes. Samuel, Samuel, you need to look through the eyes of God's purposes too. In 1 Samuel 16, 7 through 12, Samuel, you need to look through the eyes of God's purposes and not through the eyes of the flesh. When you go down there to ordain and anoint that king for me, you're going to need to look through the eyes of my determinate purposes and not your flesh. We're not looking for those great brothers. We're looking for that little one. Why? Because I've got a determinate purpose for him. 
Oh, listen to me. Here's a consolation for every questioner. Look at the omnipotent determinations of his purposes. What's a puny theology? Yes, and I love that word puny. I don't know any better word to describe it. It's a puny theology. It doesn't look at God through the eyes of his sovereign, determined purposes. Those scriptures I read a while ago, especially in, especially in Ephesians chapter 1, he doesn't indicate any sense of doubt. Maybe God will do this. If he can, he'll do it. If men will let him, he'll do it. If it's possible, he'll do it. This is what God's wanting to do. Is what he's trying to do. No, that's not what first chapter of Ephesians tells us. That chapter tells us God said, I've got a purpose to save these people. And I will save these people. That's my determined purpose. Hey, listen. Here's a consolation to your heart and to my heart. When I start questioning, oh Lord, if, if, then why? Here's a help for you. God's determinate purposes. Verse 12, thou mighty man of valor. I will, if you want to see it, see it. Clearly see it in John chapter 17. That's sacred ground. Pull off your shoes before you go there. Pull off your shoes before you go there. That's holy ground. That's the son communing with the father. In private. He just opened the window and let us listen. What did he say there? He said, Father, I will that they be with me. He said, Father, I will that they be like me. He and the Father talking together about his determinate purposes. Oh, listen to me, brethren. There's a sweet consolation Sweet consolation. But there's also a sweet consolation from the question one. In this, look at verse 14a. And the Lord, after he got through blubbering, <laughs> About what he couldn't do and what he didn't understand. The Lord looked upon him. <laughs> Woo! Here's a sweet consolation. God looked at him. I call this, if you want to make your outline, Continue your outline with alliteration. I call this the power in his perusal. 
Dear old Webster defines that word perusal. To peruse a thing, Webster says, is to look on it with intent. Oh, here's a consolation. The power of his perusal. What is in one look from this God, I ask you, and I answer with this, a whole universe of blessedness. What is in one look from this God? <laughs> Hallelujah. A whole universe of blessedness. I ask you, from whence, from whence came this mighty valor of which the angel here speaks? From whence came this mighty valor in verse 12 of which the angel speaks? And I answer you, here it is. Here's where it comes from. The Lord looked on him with favor. He looked on him. Matthew Henry said that Gideon was a man of, quote, brave and active spirit. And indeed, I'm sure the text bears that out. But even that cannot explain this man, Gideon. Oh no, there's far more required than inter strength and noble character to carry a man from a hiding wheat thresher to a national deliverer, it'll take a lot more, my brother, than that inside brave, brave, uh, braveness and active spirit. It'll take far more than that. I'll tell you what it'll take. It'll take one look from this angel. One look. From this angel, oh hallelujah. But in another place, our brother Matthew Henry says this. There was something extraordinary in this look. It was a grace-filled and favorable look. Such a look with which God's countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11 and verse 7, and a look with which the righteous Lord looks on the righteous. <laughs> Psalm 11 and verse 7. Oh, there was something extraordinary about this look. <laughs> hey, the Lord looked upon him in verse 14. Dear old Bush said, the angel, quote, looked on him with indescribable power and influence, with efficacy, absolutely divine. <laughs> Hallelujah. By the way, can I just remind you, the first thing Adam avoided after he took that bite from that fruit was the eyes of God. He didn't want God looking at him. 
anymore. Didn't want God to see him. Well, he says this angel looked on him with an indescribable power with efficacy. Absolutely divine. Oh, it was this face of God in Genesis 20, 32 and verse 30. It was this face of God in Genesis 32 and verse 30 that changed Jacob's life forever. In fact, it changed him so much that there was necessity for him even to change his name. Chapter 32 of Genesis and verse 28. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. Oh, such power is in this look from God. Jacob said, I've looked on him. I saw his face. And even his name changed. And his life would never be the same. Oh, it was this face. This angel's look. Look. You remember it well. That changed Peter's life forever. He went from a cowering traitor to a conquering martyr with just one look. Luke 22, verse 59, about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirming, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him. For he is a Galilean, and Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Oh, and he would never be the same again. He'd never be the same. Oh, my sainted friend, this morning, this afternoon, have you seen this look? Have you seen this face? It'll change your life forever. I'm not talking about physically. <laughs> we used to sometimes laugh and sometimes cry, my wife and I. In Ireland, you go to these places and they say, Oh, the Blessed Virgin, we saw her here. We saw her. We looked at her. Oh, the face of Jesus appeared in this stone. <laughs> be laughable if it weren't so sad. I'm not talking about a physical picture. 
I'm not talking about a physical visage. I'm talking about by faith. Have you seen this look? Have you seen him turn and look at you? And in that blessed look was all the consolation of an eternity. Can I just tell you this morning, this is the view that will turn eternity into a forever blessed heaven or a forever cursed hell. The prophet Zechariah Prophet Zechariah, led of the Holy Spirit of God, said this in chapter 12 and verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I said this look from him will turn eternity into a cursed hell for the unbeliever. A cursed hell. Oh, one look from this face. This is the face. This is the look. This that Gideon saw. This is the look. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation from which the heavens and the earth fled away and there was found no place for them. Oh, sinner, I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning, can you bear to look in this face? Can you dare to look in this face? He will look in yours. But all for the saint, that ever-blessed state of God's elect in glory, the ever-blessed state of God's elect in glory is described like this in 1 John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear, yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, there's an eternity of heaven. <laughs> there's an eternity of heaven. The psalmist said in chapter 17 and verse 15, As for me, I will behold the face, thy face in righteousness. And the Hebrew word there, I studied it. The Hebrew word for behold right there is to gaze on with contemplation. It's not just a it's not just a fleeting glance. It's a fixation. It's the gaze with contemplation. And the psalmist said, Hallelujah. As for me, I will gaze with contemplation.
salvation on thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. Hallelujah. I said looking in this face for the redeemed will turn eternity into heaven. And for the lost it will turn eternity into hell. One look from this angel. Can you imagine? I tried. <laughs> it was folly. I knew it. But I tried anyway. I felt like Paul when he cried out. He was contemplating the things. Finally, he just drowned in it. He said, I can't. It's, it's beyond. I'm just drowned in it. Can you imagine looking into the face of God? Eternally looking into the face of God. What will it be? Oh, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. The inspired apostle said, And we shall all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Changed. Into his likeness. From one degree of glory to another. How? By looking with an unveiled face. Into his. Oh hallelujah. Brethren here's a sweet consolation. Here's a sweet consolation. Gideon here's a sweet consolation. for you. The Lord. Looked on him. Looked on him. Well, there's a consolation for a questioner. <laughs> oh, if you can just get somewhere. Get your Bible. Fan the pages until somewhere. Suddenly. You see his. See his, and he's looking on you. There's a sweet consolation. But now I must close, and so I leave you with one fourth and final consolation for the from the questioned one. There is the consolation of his, the authority, the authority of his commission. Verse 14, the last words, have not I sent thee? <laughs> hey, listen, here's a consolation. I have the authority. Of his commission. Have not I sent thee? <laughs> oh listen to me. This was enough. For Moses. Chapter 3. Verse 11 through 14. If you want to read it. It was enough for Moses. Hey. It was enough. For Joshua. 
chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and verse 9. Hey, Joshua, hey, Joshua, have not I sent thee? That's enough. That's enough. It was enough for Moses. It was enough for Joshua. Hey, it was enough for Deborah and Barak. <laughs> Remember that in chapter 4? It was enough for Deborah and Barak. The Lord sent us to do this. We're not going to be able to, oh yes, oh, oh yeah, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to be able to do this. The Lord sent us. It was enough for Moses. It was enough for Joshua. It was enough for Deborah and Barak. And yes, Gideon. Yes, Gideon. My dear brother, it'll be enough for you. The angel has spoken. My fellow believers this afternoon, has not the angel of Jehovah spoken the same to all of us? Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel. That thing we call the Great Commission. Has not he spoken to us? Oh, when you're in questioning. The context of your question. The context of your heart. Brings you to great consternation. Here's a consolation. For you from the question. Have not I sent you? Have not I sent you? Margaret Clarkson in 1938 said it all. All the consolation that would ever be needed by a weary questioner on this pilgrimage. Margaret Clarkson answered it for us. When she said, so send I you to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing. So send I you. To toil for me alone. That's enough. Is that not enough? Is that not enough? So send I you, she said, to bind the bruised and broken, or wandering, or wandering rough, to work, to weep, to wake. To bear the burdens of a world aweary. So I send I you to suffer for my sake. So send I you to loneliness and longing. With heart hungering for the loved and known. Forsaking home and kindred. Friend and dear one. So send I you to know my love alone. So send I you to leave your life's ambition. 
to die to dear desire. Self will resign to labor long and love where men revile you. So send I you to lose your life in mine. So send I you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend, though it be blood, to spend and spare not. So send I you to taste of Calvary. Is that not enough? Is that not enough? Is that not enough? Consolation for us. He sent us. Oh, my dear brother, get in. My dear brother, get in. You're prepared now. And he would send you. Stand and sing together, please. Stand and sing together with me, please. Hymn number 858. Be merciful to us, O God, upon thy people shine, and spread thy saving truth abroad, till all that live be thine. Give light and comfort to thine own, and let thy light extend till thy prevailing name be known to earth's remotest end. Let all the people praise Thee, Lord. Let all their homage reign. From sea to sea be Thou adored. Redeemer, Judge, and King.